Good evening, everyone. Before we begin, I just want to let you know that this is a collaborative effort between myself and Mortis Media. He came over to this channel to read a story for you all, and I read a handful of stories for him over on his channel. He does true scary stories, whereas I do no sleep, so if you're looking for something a little bit different and you want me to be involved with it, head over to his channel. It'll be linked down in the description below, and um, check out check out that new video. I think you'll really enjoy it, and I think you'll enjoy his other content as well. But let's just jump right into tonight's stories. I'm a retired cryptozoologist. One creature I discovered haunts me to this day, and it's still out there. I use the term retired in this context very loosely. I was never paid for my work, and there was no pension to speak of. Cryptozoology has always been a passion of mine, one that, in my old age, I no longer had the energy to pursue. But I didn't leave empty-handed. The treasures of the trade are not monetary ones. They're stories. Some passed around from one hunter to the next, others gained from experience on the front lines. The one that I keep coming back to, even now, is a personal one. It's been many years, but I think I finally have the nerve to share it. Before we get started, a little bit of background. I'm a journalist by trade, and in the mid-80s, there was a spike in submissions to the paper I worked for, which shall remain anonymous, pertaining to unexplained phenomenon. Sightings of remarkable but horrific beasts in the local forest. They were a trip to read, but not worth investigating, according to my boss. Our mantra was clear. Straight to the news. The paper was known for neutral, unbiased, fact-based articles. That meant no sensationalist headlines, no opinion pieces, and nothing that could be dismissed or disproved. Still, I had such fun reading these bizarre tales, the highlight of any given workday when one landed on my desk. On one particularly slow day in the office, I was handed three separate letters. All were news submissions describing similar incidents, too similar to be written off with the others. According to these first-hand accounts, there was an ominous creature that stood at the edge of the forest when driven by. It was a humanoid entity covered in a grass-like fur all over. Other than the greenery, there were no identifiable features. It blended in with the tree line, but jarred the three drivers when it moved, running into the road at great speed. If this was a prank, it was an elaborate one, especially for the time period. Each letter had a different handwriting and tone. I later discovered that the return addresses were those of residents deemed as being reputable sources for the paper in the past. I was baffled. My boss was not so intrigued. Upon showing him letters, he simply took the names off of our source list and barked at me to stop playing make-believe and get back to work. He was anything if not endearing. I threw the mystery letters in a drawer with the rest. I worked there for two more years before calling it quits and beginning my new job as a full-time cryptozoologist, inspired by the paper's strange submissions, of course. My retirement and many vested benefits from the company would fund this passion project of mine. You might find it odd given the line of work, but for the first time in my life, I felt truly fulfilled. There are no words to describe the feeling, but 
freedom is a good attempt. I won't bore you with the details of my adventures into the unknown. They're mostly uninteresting tales whose joyous highlights and precious moments can never be spoiled with enough embellishment to convey the meaning they hold to me. Just know that almost all of these endeavors were unfruitful. The journey was far more enjoyable than the destination, save for a handful of hunts that harbored actual danger. But there was never a close call with the Moss Man, as I later dubbed it. Going through some old notes from my days at the paper, I happened upon those three letters. Pondering over them for a bit, an idea sprung into mind. A smile crept across my face. I called a friend of mine to meet me, then, in a flash, grabbed my keys and drove to the forest's edge, hoping to catch a glimpse of the mysterious moss man. Even if it didn't exist, it would be fun outing doing what I loved. The friend I called was a rookie hunter. I was his teacher, in a sense, a title I wore proudly. This would be our fifth excursion together. When he arrived, we didn't waste any time mincing words. We simply ventured into the woods, flashlights in hand, ready to find the beast and document its existence. If only we knew at the time what we were getting ourselves into. We walked quietly for an hour before one of us spoke up. Spooked by the darkness, we were in need of some small talk to distract ourselves and break down the awkward tension. Say, Jack, why are you so keen on finding this grass man anyway? I thought your old paper was sent pranks like that all the time. I snickered. <laughs> it's Moss Man, Henry, and I never said that. That's just what my boss thought. I was never able to follow any leads. Henry looked off for a moment and then came back. What if it was just a guy in a suit, scaring the locals? Henry was a believer at heart, but he wore his skepticism on his sleeve. That's what I loved about him. It's his apprehension that kept my head on straight on those explorations we embarked on previously. I'd been known to let my enthusiasm get the better of me on more than one occasion. Well, that's what we're here to find out. If there's no evidence, that'll probably be our conclusion. Footsteps echoed in the distance, branches breaking beneath a heavy weight. Henry and I slowed to a stop. Did you hear that, Jack? Shh, quiet. Don't make a sound. I listened, but was only met with silence. We brushed off the incident and kept walking, now rattled. So, Henry asked... How big is this thing supposed to be? All of the lenders described it as being the size of a man. No specifics past that. Henry turned around and stood still for a moment. I stayed with him, assuming he needed a second to gather his wits. I think I left something in my car. I'll be right. I interjected before he could finish the sentence. God damn it, Henry. Do you want to be a hunter or not? Yes. I, I do, but but nothing. How many times have you died on a hunt? Henry paused. Well, counting the Kitsune incident? None? Exactly. So pull your spine out of your ass and match my pace. Walk with confidence. You're going to be fine. Henry took a labored breath, turned back around and straightened his posture. My pep talk seemed to have an effect. 
Okay, Jack. I can do this. He gave me a determined look. We never explicitly discussed it before, but I sensed that Henry looked up to me. Not unlike how a child looks up to their father. Good. Now follow me. I marched ahead and Henry followed. Then there were more footsteps. We stopped again. And the sound was so close, I was compelled to yell out. Who's there? Show yourself! The noises ceased. With a fair amount of trepidation myself, I pressed on, Henry now falling behind. Pick up the pace, will you, Henry? This is what we're here for. A few moments passed, and the sounds of footsteps recommenced. This time, the source was revealed. Out from behind a large tree stepped a gentleman in proper dress attire adorning an overly wide smile. A shadowy form illuminated only by a sliver of moonlight that broke through the forest's canopy. Henry and I nearly jumped out of our skin and jolted back a bit. We then looked at each other, confused. I spoke first. Hello there. The man did not respond. Then Henry chimed in. What are you doing out here dressed like that? No reply. I gave it another go. Everything all right, sir? Would you like some help navigating the forest? Not a single word offered in response. I contemplated our options and turned back to Henry, who was now visibly trembling. Henry, we should go. We began walking the opposite direction, and to our utter disbelief, the man was there, impending our travel. My blood ran cold. No footsteps this time, just inexplicable, instantaneous transit. Everywhere we turned, he was there. We'd been ambushed. Without warning, the man transformed before our eyes. Green, grassy appendages seeped from his pores and enveloped his outline. His features vanished behind the foliage. It was him. Mossman. I never suspected it could shapeshift, but this was no time to jot down notes. It lunged at us. Henry and I dispersed, but with overwhelming agility and strength, it was able to grab us both and pin our bodies to a tree. We were pressed so forcefully against it, the bark felt like a thousand tiny needles scraping the skin of my back. Henry flailed out, screaming in fear and agony. I was too scared, but having been in a similar position before, I held my composure and hatched a plan. Hey, big guy. I have a proposition for you. It tilted its head at me, a horrendous amalgamation of vines where its face should have been. I'm sure you have to feed, and it will probably taste better than the old rabbit or fox passerby. Trust me, I, I understand, but if you kill us both, they'll come looking for us. You might be good against one or two men, but a whole search party? If your nest is discovered, you could be caught and killed yourself, or... At the very least, forced to flee your home. It loosened its grip on me. 
I used to work for the local paper. My, my testimonial holds weight in this town. To both local officials and general public, I can make this appear to be an accident. Just leave the body when you're done. That's all I ask. Henry turned to me more frightened than he had ever been of the Moss Man. So what do you say? We have a deal? The creature nodded and let me go. I ran out of the forest, my heart pounding. Unlike other cryptids I dealt with, I didn't know this one's dialect, so I wasn't even sure if it would understand me. I looked back only once to make sure the creature hadn't changed its mind and caught a glimpse of Henry being torn to shreds. Poor guy. I lost more rookies that way. The following day, Henry's body was found at the edge of the woods. After speaking with the mayor, a closet hunter, and a good friend of mine, and contacting the paper, my old Bosch commissioned a report for me. Henry had been attacked by a bear on an unfortunate stroll through the forest one evening. It was the talk of the community for a while, and as such, folks steered clear of the woods. The moss man's nest was safe, and so were the locals. Job well done in my book. So let this serve as a lesson to you. When searching for monsters, always being a friend along for the hunt, they might just save your life. I've kept something to myself nearly my entire life. As a child, I had a very unique friend. My only friend at that time, to be honest. I was eight years old, and I was having a tough time getting to sleep one night. I was tossing and turning in aggravation at my inability to relax. My bedroom was on the second story of the house, with my parents' bedroom directly below me. I knew I had to keep my irritated flailing to a minimum, or my dad would wake up, followed by a slap on my behind. My father wasn't a mean person, he was just stern. Directly outside my window was a large tree. Every so often, one branch would grow long enough to reach my window and would scrape against it. This may seem a little strange, but I always found the sound oddly relaxing, so it never bothered me that much. However, every so often, I would open my window to trim it a bit before it does any real damage to the window. While I was usually never bothered by the sound, Tonight was the exception, as the scraping was being more and more irritating. My eyes shot open as I came to the realization that I had just trimmed that branch a couple of days ago. There was no way it could have grown the length it needed to reach my window. I slowly looked over to my window, following the trail of moonlight that streamed through it. What I saw was not the tree. Something... Someone was watching me from just outside my window. I sat up in shock at the sudden sight. What appeared in front of me was a human form, but not human. Its dark gray skin was shriveled and dry. Its skinny limbs were reminiscent of a victim of starvation. One of its bony hands was pressed against the window pane, sliding down slowly. That was the scratching noise I was hearing. 
While my initial reaction was shock, I was not afraid in the least. As an adult right now, I cannot explain why I wasn't scared out of my mind to see a creature like this staring at me from outside, but I simply stared back. Its eyes were pure black as it continued its gaze. A smile began to form on its decayed-looking face. Hello, child, it said in a low, raspy voice. Hi, I replied with an inflection of a question. Who... who are you? Why are you staring at me through my window? I continued nervously. I do not have a name, only a purpose, it answered while grinning wider. Its answer confused me but I ignored my confusion and continued my questions to whatever this thing was. Why are you here? I asked. To fulfill that purpose. I don't mean to frighten you, I mean you no harm, I was just... curious. He replied in a way as to not fully answer my question. How can I hear you through glass? What are you? I asked as I lifted myself out of the bed. I don't know what I am, just what I'm meant to do, it said while tilting his head to the side. You're the first of your kind to see me. This intrigues me, he continued. I walked toward my window, noticing the ragged clothing hanging from its thin body. Are you floating? I quickly asked as I looked down to the ground from my window smiled and let out a small laugh. It was seemingly amused by my interest and my childish wonder. I like you, it said while continuing to grin at me. More and more questions popped in my head. As I opened my mouth to ask another, it put its shriveled hand up to stop me. I must go now, young one. I have much to do, but may I have your permission to visit again? It asked while slowly hovering away. Yes, please, I said excitedly. It didn't speak again and simply vanished around the corner of my house. I was transfixed while watching it float away. I didn't sleep a wink that night as my adrenaline and thoughts of what had just occurred made sure of that. Once morning arrived, I made my way down to the kitchen for a bowl of cereal. As I ate my breakfast at the kitchen table, I heard a siren in the distance. Finding nothing out of the ordinary, I continued while reading the kitty jokes on the back of the cereal box. The wailing from the siren became louder and louder. I jumped up in excitement as I realized it was passing through my neighborhood. I ran to the front room window and peered through the blinds. After a few seconds, I spotted an ambulance coming down the road. I smiled in delight, as a child my age, I don't get to see things like this too often. I wish I hadn't. My smile turned to a look of confusion as the ambulance pulled in front of my driveway. Stomping sounds were heard as my mother rushed down the stairs to run outside. I saw her frantically plea with the medics pointing to our house. Terrible feeling went through me as I began to realize. My father was still upstairs. I began to walk toward the stairs when the EMTs 
busted through the door, making their way in. I watched in horror as they carried my father out on a stretcher. He passed away in his sleep because of a heart attack. He wasn't discovered until the morning by my mother. That day, my mother and I spent the whole day together crying. My father was gone. I slept in my mother's room that night, not wanting to be alone. The events of that day put my new friend out of mind. The next day, my mother asked me to take the rest of the week off from school, which, as an eight-year-old, I had zero issues with. I decided to sleep in my own room from here on out. It wasn't long after I'd fallen asleep, I heard a familiar scratching on my window. I came out of my grogginess, slowly, and looked towards the window. My friend was back, with his palm against the window. Oh, hello, I said while rubbing my eyes. I came to visit you last night, but you were in your mother's room. Do you often do that? It said, sounding as interested in me as I was in it. No, I'm a big boy, I said with aggression. It tilted its head in confusion as I slowly looked toward the ground and began crying. I... My dad died last night. Neither of us wanted to be alone. I said slightly under my breath. It straightened its head up. If it had eyebrows, they would have been curled. Does the death of another hurt you? It inquired in a confused tone. He was my father, I yelled back. I immediately covered my mouth, knowing my mother could have heard me. My sudden outburst startled my friend, and it jolted back in my reaction. I'm... I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yell. I softly said after a few seconds of silence. I believe I understand, child, it said, trying to offer its condolences. All people must move on when it's their time. Yesterday was your father's time. I could tell its cold words were an attempt to comfort me. I slowly looked back up to it. Move on to where? I asked, tears welled in my eyes. I... I don't know where. It's not for me to know. There's a void in which all souls move to when they die, but I do not know what's on the other side, nor intend to know, he replied, trying to explain the best it could. How do you know that? I said in a confrontational tone. Because, young one, it's my job to bring them there, it said in a more confident tone. I raised my eyebrow in confusion as I looked into its black eyes. My dozens upon dozens of questions from the previous night had now narrowed down to one. Did you... Did you take my father there the other night? I asked. Several seconds went by as it pondered its reply. Yes, it stated simply. That's why I was here. It was his time and I was here to collect them. I'm often curious about your kind, which is why I was looking into your room. I was not anticipating that you could see me, though. None do. Can... Can we be friends? 
I said, holding back my tears. Its frame straightened up as if motivated by my words. Yes, he replied while wearing that same scanty smile. We talked through most of the night. My friend and I were trying to get an understanding with each other's existence. It had never spoken to a human before and was equally as intrigued with me as I was with it. Monday morning, I decided to go back to school. At the soonest I could, I made my way to the library. I wanted to see if there had been any recorded documents similar to what I was experiencing. I didn't know where to look, so I asked the librarian. Um, excuse me, do you have books on... I nervously looked away, suddenly embarrassed by my question. People that, uh, take people's souls when they die? You mean like the Grim Reaper? She said with an amused smile. I shrugged my shoulders in confusion. She led me to a section with several books involving this Grim Reaper. I skimmed through them all, trying to dig up any info I could. The pictures in the books of what the Grim Reaper looked like looked nothing like my friend. This iteration was more of a skeleton clothed in robes. While my friend was certainly dead looking, it was not a skeleton. I checked out three of the books and made my way home. I anxiously awaited my friend's arrival to inform him of the research I'd done. I could almost set my watch by it as it arrived at the same exact time as the previous nights. I hastily ran to my window to show what I'd found. Are you the Grim Reaper? I asked excitedly. After a look of confusion and a brief pause, it replied, I don't know this Grim Reaper you mention. This is the first I've heard of such thing. Although it does appear, your people know something of us. Us? I replied, confused. It nodded its head. There are many of us. I don't know how many, but just one of us could not possibly escort the amount of souls this realm produces. Where do you come from? I asked, now back to my confused state. I don't know. I've always been here. I don't remember a time when I didn't exist. It replied, tilting its head once again. Why do you take souls? Do you get paid? I asked innocently. It let out a laugh, seemingly amused by my question. I too laughed with a grin at my own question. Its laughter turned to silence as it put its head down as to ponder my question. It slowly lifted its head to match its black eyes to mine. I take souls because that's what I do. That's what I am. I cannot further explain than that. It stated in a more firm tone. Do you ever have that one thing in life you wish you could forget? I asked it a question that to this day, I regret. Wait, I said in confusion. I remember looking at my clock the night you took my father. It was around 10.30pm. My mom told me the doctors said my dad's heart attack started around 11. You visited me first. I thought you only come for them after they die. Did you know he was about to die? It stared at me, as if it wanted to tell me something but didn't know how. After a long, quiet pause, it replied, Yes, I knew your father was going to die. It said in a sad tone as if it didn't want me to hear the words. Why? Why didn't you warn me? I asked with a glare. Another quiet pause filled the air. Can you 
see into the future? Do you know when I'm going to die? I pleaded. No, child, I cannot see into the future. When it's someone's time, I... We have to end their time here. It answered begrudgingly. Shocking realization came over me. My eyes widened as I looked deep into its black, cold eyes. Did you... kill my father? I asked as I stared straight ahead. It stared at me for a brief moment of quietness. Yes. That's how we extract them from their physical form. They must be killed when it's their time, it said knowing his words would bring me pain. Why didn't you let him die first? I yelled in frustration as I began regretting naming this thing my friend. Young one, he pleaded with me. That's not how it works. My look of anger quickly morphed into a look of confusion. He continued. When left alone, humans are inherently mortal. They cannot die on their own. Their bodies will shrivel and weaken. They will only know pain and suffering as their own form betrays them. It's my job to free them of this and bring them to a new place void of such suffering. I stared in disbelief as it described a reality I was not prepared for. My mouth hung open in shock at what I had just heard. Your kind suffers from diseases and viruses, but you'll never succumb to the disease. You'll never die from the virus. It's me. It's us that end it for you when your body is at its breaking point. Your father's heart attack would not have killed him, but his body would have never recovered. It was his time. He continued to explain as I plopped on the floor at the sudden realization. It. My friend and I continued to remain friends through my adulthood. I lived my entire life with this knowledge, and it's been nothing less than torture. I don't blame my friend, though. It did not know what kind of pain I would endure. The term, ignorance is bliss, could not have more meaning to me. I'm writing this from my hospital bed, and I can feel the cancer inside my body has reached the point of no return. It is soon also my time. I wonder, will my friend be here to meet me one last time? When I was in high school, my friends and I had a particular pastime. Like any teenage delinquent, we liked to cause trouble. We weren't vandals, we didn't deal drugs, and we certainly didn't bully kids in school. No, we liked to scare the living hell out of new parents by hacking their baby monitors. We were insufferable little punks who thought we were too good to get caught and that our little actions of mischief would go unpunished. One night, however, I learned my lesson, and realised that I wasn't quite as bulletproof as my tremendous adolescent ego made me out to be. Dimitri Kurt and I went to the same school, shared many of the same classes, and hung out almost every evening after chow time. We watched prank shows, played video games, 
talked about who had the nicest rack in school, and one evening we were trading scary stories in the park, where Kurt shared the classic story about the single mother who heard a haunting voice on her baby monitor. Like most horror stories, it sounded like total nonsense, but Dimitri told us it happened to his mum once, on her own monitor. She'd heard a neighbour singing to her baby. Apparently it was possible to accidentally tap into someone else's frequency. In an instant, a light bulb turned on in each of our heads. When you're close enough to someone, you don't need words to know what the person is thinking, and we could all tell what we were thinking at the exact same time. We were going to buy a baby monitor and screw with people. Pardon the pun, but hacking a baby monitor is child's play. All you need to do is find a device on the same frequency as yours. Never one to do things half-assed, I purchased a high-end monitor with a frequency dial so we could prank as many targets as possible. The following night, we took our bikes, roamed the neighbourhood, and found our first victim. We could see the nursery from the suburban home's second floor window. Dimitri grabbed the baby monitor and began turning it to different frequencies until we heard breathing. I remember feeling excited as our plan finally came to fruition. Dimitri pressed the button and began exhaling heavily into the receiver. Your little girl was delicious, he murmured, using a demonic voice. The light in the master bedroom turned on almost immediately, and we heard a shrill scream. We laughed our asses off and quickly rode off down the street to not get caught. We repeated the prank several times over the course of the following weeks, each taking turns talking through the monitor. Not wanting anyone to get wise of our little game, we chose different houses every time. People's reactions were priceless. Some mothers would reply in a panic, others seemed to know it was a hoax and told us to shut up, and one poor woman even started sobbing uncontrollably, begging us not to hurt her baby. I felt bad about the last one, now that I'm older, but it was hilarious back then. My friends and I mimicked her high-pitched bawling and desperate cries for mercy for weeks after. Yeah, we were royal dicks. But karma had it in for us, and I got what was coming to me one night. Kurt and Dimitri were busy studying for their midterms, so I went out on my own. By then, we'd gotten pretty much everyone in the surrounding area, so I decided to venture off across town and into unfamiliar territory. Finding a target wasn't difficult. All you had to do was look for cars with baby seats, houses with overly colourful cartoon-themed curtains, or perhaps just toys left in the yard. I came across a house that fit all three criteria and parked my bike out of view, playing with the turner. I eventually found the right frequency. I could hear the sound of a baby snoring very lightly. A devious little smirk pushed its way onto my lips, and my heart began pounding with excitement. It was my time to shine. I am watching, I whispered into the monitor using the creepiest voice I could. The house remained dark and lifeless. I figured the homeowners hadn't heard me. I stand over your bed, watching, waiting 
I said it louder this time, but nothing. Just a sound of crickets chirping and the occasional dull roar of a car driving down the street. It was a little odd. Parents usually reacted much quicker than that. I began feeling a little nervous and somewhat exposed. You know, like when you suddenly realise some creeps gawking at you? It was getting late, and I had a long bike ride home. Just as I was about to give up and leave, I heard a strange moist gurgling sound coming from the monitor. The quiet rhythmic snores ceased, and I assumed the baby had woken up and was about to start crying. Instead, a man spoke to me. You're the one being watched now, Juan, he said softly. My stomach pirouetted at his words. How did he know my name? I felt sick. Something was very wrong, and I could feel it in my bones. I glanced at the nursery window and saw a silhouette standing there watching me. Had he been there the whole time? The air was thick and difficult to inhale, though perhaps fear was making it hard to breathe. My body quivered uncontrollably, as a sense of dread poured into every inch of me. I climbed on my bike, pedalling desperately to get away. Part of me thought I was overreacting, but the overwhelming need to flee overpowered my rational mind. You can't run. I know where you live, Juan, continued the man, even as I turned the corner. I flew down the street, not stopping until I reached a busy boulevard surrounded by cars and a few late-night joggers. I felt safe. Your hoodie will run red with your blood, boy, whispered the man, still talking through the baby monitor in my pocket. A passerby gave me a nasty look as I yelped loudly in fear, practically ripping my hoodie in my frantic attempt at removing it. To the stranger, I must have looked like some snotty kid tripping balls or something. He didn't know I was in genuine distress, so I don't blame him for walking off with an insulted huff, though I wish he had offered to help me instead. After stuffing my hoodie into my backpack, I noticed my name scrawled on the back. It was my high school jacket. No wonder he knew my name. Then it occurred to me that the baby monitors were fairly short-ranged, so I was obviously being followed. I nervously glanced around and tried to identify my stalker. Was it the empty-looking van down the street? The guy walking his dog? The car that had just driven by? Either way, the last thing I wanted was to hear that voice again. So I turned the device off and started pedaling towards my home. Fear had heightened my senses, and I began to notice every motion of the tree in the breeze, every crackle of twigs under my heels and every car that zipped past. I flinched whenever anyone came near, paranoid that whoever had spoken to me through the baby monitor was going to catch up. Fortunately, I made it home without incident. I parked the bike in my garage, crawled up the stairs to my bedroom in one careless motion, and tossed my backpack and the baby monitor into the corner of the room and dove under my sheets like an Olympic swimmer. It doesn't matter how old you are. Nothing feels safer than being under your blanket. I closed my eyes, hoping I'd be able to calm down enough to catch a few hours of rest before class. But then I heard static coming off the monitor from across the room. The monitor that was supposed to be off. Sweet dreams, Juan said the voice that still haunts my dreams. 
Needless to say, I didn't sleep a wink that night. I was too frightened to get out of bed until sunrise, and when I did, the first order of business was to remove the battery from the monitor and throw it in the trash. I didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. I came up with an excuse to give my buddies, so that they wouldn't think I was a huge pussy. With massive bags under my eyes, I got dressed, had breakfast, and went to school. It wasn't until a few days later that I saw the house on the news. In an interview, a police officer explained that the small family who had been living in the house had been found in their beds with their necks slit open. I had been outside when it happened. The killer had heard me on the baby monitor and decided to mess with me. It was definitely a wake-up call, and I thanked my lucky stars that I hadn't gotten murdered that night. I was too busy feeling thankful that I survived to feel bad about the family that hadn't. Empathy, like wisdom, comes with age. Now that I'm an adult, with a wife and daughter, I truly understand the consequences of my actions, and the severity of the situation I put myself in as a tremendously stupid teenage boy. That dreadful night, I thought I reached the epitome of fear. But I was just at the tip of the iceberg. As a father... I now know that fear thrives and multiplies when there is something more precious than your own life at stake. I can't say for sure whether the killer found me again, after all these years, or whether a new breed of idiots has the same idea as my friends and I back then. But I can tell you that I now understand what true terror is. Because last night, I heard something on our baby monitor that sent chills into my very soul shackling me with a paralyzing fear that I doubt will ever leave. I'm still watching. I grew up on a farm. Aside from the occasional field trip or family vacation, I rarely went to a big city as a child. So like many, the idea of living in a metropolis held a special mystique for me. From early high school, I made plans to go to college somewhere, big, and I would wound up going to Tulane in New Orleans. I managed to get a partial scholarship, and between that, student loans, and working most of the time, I managed to make ends meet. And I loved my time there. While New Orleans had its problems, I still think it's one of the most beautiful and interesting places I've ever seen. And my apartment was cramped and dingy, but I still loved it. I graduated last May, and things have been going downhill. I've had a hard time transitioning from college jobs to some kind of better-paying career, and the lack of money and looming shadow of deferred student loan payments has caused me to realize I couldn't afford to stay in New Orleans any longer. So I started applying for jobs all over, eventually snagging one outside of Houston with a big company that manages websites. The pay wasn't great, but more than I'd ever made before, and the cost of living in the area I work was actually a bit less than New Orleans. To save money, and because I didn't know the city at all, the day I arrived I started looking for a place to rent near my work. The company set me up in an extended stay room for a while while I got settled, but I didn't know how long it would take me to find a place I could afford, particularly when I had very little for a deposit. My first few days of looking was depressing. Every day at lunch after work, I would hit several different places, spiraling out further and further from my work as my desperation grew. 
The company building was in an older office park, and the apartments in the area weren't especially new or nice. Honestly, a lot of them were fairly run down, not that I minded. I wasn't used to fancy, and all I cared about was cheap and available. But, having just moved to the town with no local references and little money, I was not a prime choice for most places. The couple apartments I'd found that seemed willing to consider me were so far out of my price range that I would starve before my lease ran out. That Friday, I sat in my car eating a pack of crackers and anxiously scanning the classifieds for any new listings. My supervisor was already asking how I was starting to settle in, and did I think I'd be out of the extended stay in the next couple of days, his wet, fishy lips smacking discontentedly when I said I sure hoped so. Suddenly, my heart leapt as I saw a new apartment listed. It was on a street that sounded familiar, even close by. I pulled it up on my phone and saw it was less than three miles away. Throwing the newspaper in the passenger seat, I put the car in drive and headed over right away. I remember having the irrational fear that there would be a line of people already there to claim it before I got there. I turned onto the street and felt my stomach sink slightly. The buildings here were in worse shape than most of the area, but more concerning was that all the parking spaces were full. I circled the block and finally parked half-assed in a nearby alley before walk-running up to the door. I hit the buzzer labeled management, and an older female voice answered, buzzing me in. When I walked into the front foyer, my first impression was of how dimly lit it was. To the left and right, there were small boxes for the tenants, and beyond that were three doors that appeared to lead to apartments, and one door in the back that was labeled maintenance. I noticed it was misspelled, but decided it was better to find it charming than concerning. Looking up at the stairs that ran along the right wall, I saw it curved back on itself as it continued up to the second floor and beyond. The carpet runner on the stairs looked old and stained, but not in terrible condition. And aside from a faint mustiness, the building didn't seem to have any weird smells. The door to management opened, and a gaunt woman in her 50s stepped out in a pink housecoat, giving me a shrewd look before nodding and beckoning me inside. Her apartment was neat, but cluttered, smelling of stale coffee and old perfume. She took me over to a small kitchen table and gestured for me to sit. Then she began, her tone stiff, and her words clipped as she spoke them. The rent is $700 a month. Can you afford that? I swallowed. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Her eyes narrowed, but she went on. The deposit is also 700 a month. Can you afford that? I felt my stomach clench. I don't have that much right now. Not to pay the rent and the deposit. Her lips pursed and she nodded. Then your rent is 800 no deposit. Agreeable? I nodded. Yes, thank you. I won't cause any problems. She raised a bony finger. Not done yet, hun. I nodded silently and she looked mollified. No pets, no roommates. You got a boyfriend? I shook my head. I just moved to town. I don't know anybody. She raised an eyebrow and nodded. No boyfriend staying over. If you get behind on rent, you have to go. This place isn't fancy, but it's what I've got. And I aim to keep it. Understand? Sure. <laughs> I understand. I'm just happy to have a place to stay. She smiled, her teeth long and yellow behind her thin, cracked lips. Good. Glad to have you. She reached forward and patted my hand. I think you'd like it here. Quiet street, 
quiet neighbors. We have some bugs around here, but absolutely no mice or rats. Don't you worry. And I find if you don't mess with the bugs, they won't mess with you. She gripped my hand tighter. But no pesticides in here, hun. Absolutely none. We have a couple of tenants that have conditions that are severely aggravated by them. I found this last part of the conversation more than a little odd, but I didn't want to make her angry or offend her, so I let it go. Later that same night, I was already unloading my car and toting it up to my new apartment on the third floor. The apartment was actually larger than the one I had left in Louisiana, and in some ways it was nicer too. I did hear what seemed like a stealthy scuttle of legs when I opened the door and turned on the light, but I tried to ignore it. I would just keep things clean and washed down. The odd roach or spider wasn't going to keep me from enjoying my new place. And that held true for the first few days. I cleaned the apartment top to bottom, and while I was tempted to go get some bug spray, I held out off of fear that a stray whiff might hurt another tenant or bring the ire of the landlady. In writing this, I realized I've never even learned her name, but that is the least of my worries at this point. I'd been in the apartment for just over a week when I decided to go out on a Sunday afternoon to explore more of the neighborhood. Between work and apartment hunting, followed by getting settled in the new place, I had precious little time to get to know the new place I was living. I was heading downstairs to the front door when I saw one of the first floor tenants heading back to his apartment. Even though it was May and very humid outside, the large man had on long pants, an overcoat, and a hat. As I drew closer, I saw he even had a scarf on. He turned to my approach, and I saw most of his face was obscured, but his eyes looked terrified and frantic. I had been about to say hello, but seeing those eyes, I asked if everything was alright instead. And he didn't answer, but instead wrenched the door to his apartment open and lurched inside. I considered walking closer and asking again, but the door was already slamming shut. Figuring it was none of my business, I tried to put the thought out of my head and went on out. When I came back later that night, I noticed something strange in my apartment. Several items were in different spots than where I'd left them. Most of them were small things. My toothbrush, a watch, a pair of socks I'd thrown on the floor. Nothing was missing, just moved somehow. What's more, it made me realize that it happened before during the week. Nothing is obvious, and I had to be exhausted and distracted, but hadn't there been a few times when things weren't where they should be? I tried to make excuses and convince myself I was wrong, but as the days went on, I noticed it continued happening. A ponytail clip here, a pencil there, never taken, just moved around. I was also beginning to wake up at night, perhaps out of growing nervousness, and I would hear scuttling in the dark of the apartment. I never saw anything, but I could tell something or many somethings were in the darkness with me. I finally went to the landlady and asked her if anyone had been in my apartment. She acted shocked and said, absolutely not. She had the only other key, and she hadn't been in there since before I moved in. I then asked about the possibility of getting some roach traps or something to cut down on the bug situation, and her expression scoured further. No kind of pest control could be risked because of tenant sensitivities, but as long as I kept my space clean, it shouldn't be a problem. And if I decided that this place was not for me, I was welcome to go. 
I quickly apologized, assuring her I meant no offense, and yes, I was keeping my apartment spotless. She gave me a thin smile and nodded, shutting the door without another word. When I turned around, I saw the door across the hall belonging to the overcoat man was open a crack. I almost ignored it, but I could see a flicker of movement through the small opening, and I found myself approaching the door before I realized it. Looking in through the crack, I could see the man inside. He was still wearing the same outfit, overcoat, hat, and all, and I watched as he stumbled around scratching at himself erratically, soft mumbles that resembled some kind of plaintive cry seeming to issue from him as he moved unevenly around a filthy living room. I almost pushed the door further in and asked if I could help again, but that's when I saw his coat move. In two different spots on his back and one on his arm. I saw the fabric rise and fall, not from any movement of the man, but seemingly from something else inside the coat with him. I felt my scalp begin to itch as the buzzing filled my ears. Fear climbing up my spines as I stepped back quickly when I got back into my apartment. I turned on all the lights and stayed awake for the rest of the night. Over the next few days, I avoided the apartment building as much as possible. I was starting to get more duties at work, and I took the opportunity to dive into my job and try to get my mind off what I'd seen in the man's apartment. I would get there early and stay late, but even then, there was only so much time I could kill. I found myself slipping into the habit of going to local shopping mall and public library, and when they closed, I'd go to a late-night diner, nursing a glass of water and some chicken noodle soup until close to midnight, when I would finally force myself back into the apartment. I was keeping my lights on all the time now, so when I opened the door, I didn't hear little rustlings of movement too frequently. Still, I could feel them there, hidden in the shadows and tucked into unseen cracks, tiny eyes watching me, weighing me. I'd practically run to my bed, checking all the sheets and pillows before climbing in for the night. To say my sleep wasn't restful would be an understatement. By the third week in the apartment, I could barely stay awake at work. Last night, I woke up in my car. When I looked at the clock, I saw it was after nine, and I vaguely remembered going to my car at six when I left the office. Looking around, I saw I'd never actually left the parking lot. I must have fallen asleep, thankfully, before I could drive off and have a wreck, but it was a wake-up call. I needed sleep, and I needed to get out of that place, cheap or not. Trying to wake up enough to think and drive, I formulated a very basic plan. First, I was going to go to the apartment to try and get a good night's sleep, if I could manage, and get up early to start packing. Second, I was going to ask my boss about using the extended stay room again for a few days until I found a new place. Third, I was going to find a new place and hopefully never have to think about that awful apartment building again. The first part was the hardest. I went back to the building, and as I went inside, it struck me again how quiet the place was. I never heard any televisions or doors slamming, and I only heard muffled voices a few times. I knew there had to be other tenants because there were different voices and they came from different apartments, but I had never actually seen anyone other than that landlady and Mr. Overcoat. 
The thought of him gave me a shiver and pushed away any thoughts other than getting to my apartment and shutting the door. Running up the stairs, I unlocked the door quickly and stepped in, turning the locket behind me. It was only when I turned back around that I noticed how dark the room was. A single lamp next to my bed was the only one that shone, and in the dim light that trickled into the living room, everything was cast in a shadowy gloom. In a mild panic, I reached for the light switch near the door, which was still in the up position from a few days ago. I flipped it down and back up with no response. I started to make my way to the kitchen to try the light there, or at least open the fridge for its illumination until I could find a light that worked, but then I noticed the low, sneaky noises in the dark around me. Individually, the tiny scrapings and scuttlings would probably have gone unnoticed, but not so many, not at once. What was worse was the idea that struck me next. They weren't trying to be quiet or hide anymore. The noise was coming from all around me, headed in my direction. I had to decide quickly whether to make a dash back into the dark for the door or head for the island of light in the bedroom. It only took a moment for me to run toward the lamp. I had a moment of relief when I reached the bedroom, my eyes scanning around for possible sources of light or a new threat. When my eyes landed on my bed, I was momentarily confused. Laid out neatly across my bed were some of my clothes. There was the long ring coat my grandmother had given me two years earlier. A nice coat, but two sizes too big for me. There was a knit cap and a scarf from an old boyfriend that I'd still use sometimes, but not in May. A pair of gray sweatpants and some old wool gloves. And then, on the floor at the bed's edge, were my red rain galoshes. None of the stuff had even been unpacked, much less seen use, yet here it all was, and something about it was setting my scalp to itching again. My first thought was that it was another example of someone messing with my belongings, but then I realized there was more to it than that. Someone or something was making me an outfit. An outfit like that's when the lamp went out and I started to scream. I turned and ran blindly toward the door, but in the dark I hit the bedroom door frame and went down. I awkwardly tried to scramble to my feet as I remembered my phone and pulled it out to use the flashlight app. What I saw set me to screaming again. There were millions of roaches on every other surface in the dark. The ceiling the walls, the floor, nearly every surface was awash with such a mass of crawling reddish-brown bodies that it looked like some kind of obscene tide as they shifted and flowed towards me. I heard myself screaming, oh god, over and over at this point, hysterical to the point of insanity as I flung myself at the door and fumbled with the lock. I felt the first of them reaching my feet and crawling up my legs as I got the door open and stepped out into the hallway. Looking down, I saw hundreds were already on me. They began to jump off and fly away back into the dark as I stepped into the sullen light outside of my apartment. I was still screaming my frantic refrain as I danced and shook my legs, and I realized after a moment that I was hearing it echo. From behind the closed doors, 
of two of the apartments on my floor, I could hear the, my screams of, oh God, being mimicked. One by what sounded like an old woman, and one by what seemed to be the voice of a young man. On the floors below, I could hear more of the same drifting up, following my words in terror exactly. I considered other people could be getting attacked at the same time, but I realized that when the last of the roaches was off and I stopped screaming, all of the screaming stopped. And while I had slammed my apartment door shut when the last of the bugs were gone, after a moment I saw they had regrouped and began pouring under the door towards me again, light or no light. Fuck no, fuck, fuck, fuck! I started running for the stairs, the cacophony of mimicking screams of fuck, 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 rising on all sides as I took two steps at a time. It was more than I could take, and my screams and curses devolved into a terrified, inarticulate wail as I ran, the sound doubled and redoubled by voices around me and growing louder as I started hearing doors opening simultaneously on every floor. As I reached the bottom, I saw Mr. Overcoat standing before the front door, massive arms outstretched as he let out a rough, wet version of my own screaming cry. His eyes were duller now than when they were before, but they still held the terrible insanity of some kind of trapped or wounded animal. There was no other way out of the building, so I would have to be faster than him. I acted like I was going to his right, then cut back to the left at the last moment, my need for concentration silencing my voice and thankfully his own. I felt the knob in my hand as I ducked past him and then one of his massive hands gripped my shoulder and spun me around. I tried to back away but it was too late. Staring at me with no sound, he began dragging me toward the open doorway of his apartment. He wore ragged cloth gloves and I could see the fabric moving and bulging as he pulled me along. At this close proximity, I could actually see movement all over him even under the sink of the narrow swatch of face that was exposed. I started screaming, and he screamed right along with me, his grip and strength never faltering. A moment later, we were in his apartment. He took time to issue a shambling kick that closed the door before dragging me onward. Stacks of moldy clothes and newspapers lay in every corner, and there was a rancid, almost dusty smell permeating the air that made me choke. How I never smelled it from the outside was beyond me. He continued dragging me across the living room towards some black hallway, and I knew I had no chance of escape unless I surprised him. Without warning, still coughing and screaming, I shifted direction suddenly and launched myself at him. The change in momentum worked, freeing his grip long enough for me to grab the lapels of his overcoat and tug it down past his shoulders. My idea was to partially trap his arms for a moment and use the second it gave me to run out of the apartment. It somewhat worked, but the problem was he was still stumbling backwards, beginning to fall, and as he went to grab hold of my arm again, taking me with him. He landed with a wet, squelching thud with me on top of him, my face buried in a decaying sweatshirt that writhed against my cheek. I pushed away immediately, and his grip was weaker this time, just enough that I could yank my arm free. I started to stand up, and as I did, he started screaming again. His own scream this time, a strange, almost musical sound that sounded angry and painful. As I made it to my feet, he began rolling around on the floor, yanking and tearing at the clothes he was wearing. 
Walking backwards so I could keep my eyes on him, I would glance back to make sure the door wasn't blocked or that I wasn't about to trip on one of the mounds of trash that littered the room. Reaching the door, I found that it had somehow automatically locked when he closed it, but there was no latch or button on this side to unlock it. Yelling in frustration and fear, I cast my gaze about for a blunt object of some kind to batter the knob itself with. I found an old umbrella that seemed to be caked with what I assumed was roach droppings, but I was past caring. I just wanted to escape and live whatever it took. I began striking the knob, and after the fifth blow, it began to give way. I looked back over my shoulder to see he was heading back to attack me again. It was a mistake. He was standing again, and still making that rage-filled wailing sound, but he had completed his task of stripping away his clothes. He stood, staring at me as he screamed, his body a ruin and a horror. Small, dark bodies swarmed over him under his skin, nestling in his hair, mounded up like a clutch of bees at his groin. His lips and ears were gone, long eaten away, and as he bellowed, I watched several of the roaches traverse between his mouth and one of the several holes in his cheek and gullet. Under his armpits were large brown growths that pulsated slightly before beginning to rupture, spilling forth new hordes of baby roaches from the deflating egg sacs to replace those crushed by his fall. As I continued to stare and take it all in, I knew not all the roaches were crawling. At various points of his body, half in and half out of his flesh, there were roaches that barely moved at all. They kept stations at his knees and elbows, hands and feet, neck and shoulder and jaw. Suddenly they started moving more vigorously, their hands and front legs undulating underneath his skin, and the man began to lurch forward once again in his ungainly way, with tendons and ligaments or perhaps his nerves and pain receptors being plucked and controlled by this orchestral horror. I let out a fresh scream and slammed down on the knob again, popping it off. Yanking the door open, I bolted out into the front hall and almost ran into the first of the tenants coming from upstairs. In the brief glimpses I got, I saw robes and nightgowns, parkas and hoods, all with gloved hands reaching out for me. I ducked past the closet and flung the front door open. Running into my car, I leapt and peeled off. I didn't start crying until I was 20 minutes away. I drove on for another hour, finally stopping in the parking lot of a 24-hour grocery store. I wrote most of this in the parking lot there. I couldn't sleep, and after I calmed down, I wanted to write up an account of everything while it was fresh and before the morning light could make me doubt myself. But then I started to hear rustling in my car. It was after four in the morning by this point, and the shadows felt very dark and deep. I shined my phone's light around and saw nothing, but I couldn't quite convince myself it was just my imagination. So I went to the store and managed to find a bug bomb to buy. I've set it off now, and after killing time wandering around the store until the sun came up, I've now set up camp on the bleachers of a small softball field next door until my car finishes airing out. I don't know if I'll find dead things in the car when I go back or not. I don't know if it would be more of a relief to find them or not. But I know sitting here, even in the sunlight, I keep hearing small rustling noises. I wanted to tell myself it was the wind, but it's not windy today, and it's still early enough that the world is still quietly waking up. No one is around me that I can see, and I don't know where the noises would be coming from. Well, except the shadows, of course. 
even in the middle of the day, there are so many shadows. And I know it's impossible that those things followed me here. Impossible that they're pulling in the dark corners of this ball field and inching silently up these bleachers, waiting until their strength and numbers are such that they can pull me off into a forgotten corner and make me into... But I've seen impossible things already. And I don't know where it's safe. I have this document periodically saving automatically to a cloud account. And without going into specifics with her, I told one of my friends from college to check the cloud account if she doesn't keep hearing from me and post whatever I've written to this document on the internet wherever she thinks it might be seen and understood. I think I just saw something move near the closest dugout and I don't think I can stay here anymore. I hope my car is okay to drive now and I hope they can't really follow me. Fuck, it just moved again. I have to... Thanks so much again, everyone, for listening tonight. If you haven't yet already checked out Mortis Media, I definitely, definitely suggest checking out his channel. He does true scary stories. I even did a couple for him over there on his newest video that's going up the same day as this one. So if you want to hear me read some true scary stories, head over to his channel and check out that video. Let him know I sent you. Just show him some love. Um, But until next time, everyone, just take care of yourselves. And each other, and as always, stay safe out there.